from the studios here in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to the 35th edition of the Other Kind Radio Talk Radio. Talk Radio is a weekly podcast in which myself, Jeff, and Todd take a look at pop culture, try to keep it a little light, a little fun, a little breezy. I wonder when breezy started being used in marketing. The other Johnson, I need a word that describes the something good. Uh, what about Breezy? Johnson, you're a genius. And that's how Johnson & Johnson was created. I have no idea. <laughs> Either way, welcome to the show. Welcome back. I, I want all the kind listeners who uh, are joining us uh, to keep in mind that this is part two a, uh, of a two-part series on the 80th anniversary of the War of the Worlds, Orson Welles. So if you haven't heard part one, uh, stop now, go get it, listen to it, and then come back. We'll be right here. We'll be waiting for you, and uh, you can listen to the rest of the podcast. Now, again, I do feel guilty uh, on how I left everybody last week. I did put a bit of a cliffhanger in there for you, uh, in a way maybe inspired uh, by Orson Welles himself. So uh, we're glad you're back. I think uh, you're going to enjoy the rest of the discussion today, and... um, before uh, we get into the show, I uh, just want to remind everybody, if you are a new listener, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we hope you uh, enjoy the show. And as always, feel free to email us with any comments or questions you have, info at theotherkindradio.com. And if you're a, re- a regular listener and back, then uh, you know that my stuttering and uh, uh, inability to speak clearly are just uh, part of the show. So welcome back. Sit back, relax. We will pick up where we left off uh, last week. And enjoy the 80th anniversary of the War of the Worlds discussion between myself and Todd. No one could have dreamed we were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even consider the possibility of life on other planets. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this Earth with envious eyes. And slowly... And surely, they drew their plans against us. So while a different version, we of course are talking about the famous broadcast um, that was uh, hit the airwaves in 1938. So just to put things in perspective, real pop radio, I kind of looked up to see what the history of radio was and when radio was invented. And of course, it was kind of piecemealed and put together and then kind of became big. But really, I think the... The full introduction and acceptance of radio was around 1920. So 18 years, so very young into radio's um, history, on October 30th of 1938, um, there's a radio program that's broadcast. And I've done a little bit of research. Um, we're going to talk about that today. But a young man by the name of Orson Welles um, wants to put on, I think it's CBS Radio, and they had a weekly program from the Mercury Theater um, in which some people play music, some they do radio dramas and stuff. 
and he wanted to put in and put together a radio drama around H.D. Uh, Wells' uh, War of the Worlds, which is a story about the invasion of, of uh, Martians invading uh, the United States. Or not, excuse me, not the United States, but the world. I believe the original book actually has it all happen in England. And, uh, of course, the fight to survive. And in the end, uh, spoiler alert, um, the very bacteria that our bodies can defend ourselves from uh, end up being the one thing that trip up the um, Martians and putting an end to them, which I think in a, in a way is a sense that it's no, doesn't matter how big the rocket is. Um, and uh, sometimes it's the small things that can defeat your enemies. Um, I love it when I... <laughs> I tell people, I'm recording the show, and then they continue to text. It's okay. It's all good. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. It hits on Orson Welles, who, of course, uh, this particular program launched his success and, and leads to, which is, I know, Todd's one of Todd's favorite films, and mine as well, is um, um, Good Lord. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. Uh, and since it's the 80th anniversary, I thought we could talk a little bit about it. There's some, some interesting... Um, information about the radio broadcast and what it did not only for radio but for newspaper and kind of just social responsibility as far as how the airwaves are used now obviously todd you weren't around in 1938 um do you remember your first exposure to to this particular radio drama i'm glad you started there because once you threw out that let's talk about this and you know my love of orson wells i i really tried to remember what I'm I'm all but certain my father's the one that told me about it, but I went through and I thought, did I see Citizen Kane first? Did I know of this? And honestly, there was a film, and I tried to find out what this was, but they made a television film that was the make was the not the making of, but kind of a behind the scenes story of War of the Worlds. And I remember that talked about the panic and whatnot. And I remember watching that on TV as a boy, and that was my first introduction into this radio play. Um, and that was also my introduction to the novel. So even at that early age, I was very, very interested with how performance could affect people. Yeah. And so it was that, you know, that, that idea that people were sent into chaotic behavior and the effect that somebody's simple insight of how to manipulate a, a media and a, a version of media can affect people in that way. So I really think it has to go back to that. I'm not certain, but I think that's where I heard it first. And I mean, we're talking about, and, and we're getting a, a kind of an early glimpse here. And one of the things I like of the genius, uh, which is uh, Orson Welles. Uh, obviously this was a pretty simple gig um, that he got. Um, and he, if I'm remembering correctly in some of the stuff I've read and I read, I read a lot. So some of it's kind of melding together is that he wanted to do something different. Um, this is an age where music was good, you know, kind of big, but, but radio had kind of been introduced, you know, it was in the 18 year itch, <laughs> um, where, you know, I, I think he just wanted to do something new and he was approached by one of his, and one thing about Orson Welles and I, and I've thought about this a couple times and I, and I want to make sure uh, we point this out to the kind listener. Orson surrounded himself with very, very smart people. And so he had this one of, his, one of his guys come up to him and say, hey, what about this? And he showed him the original novel, which obviously it was adapted by H.D. Wells, uh, and then Orson Welles got a hold of it. Um, 
and he immediately liked it. And therein lies. Now, just imagine realizing that radio is still in its in its you know teenage years, and you have that moment where you're going, "Oh my God, what if we did a radio drama that played on something happening?" And I'm going to play a clip here in a second. But a couple things to set this up. Um, the little intro, the narrative you heard that I played a while back, that was played before it. And the beginning of the program, H.G. Wells, excuse me, Orson Wells gets on and he talks about that they're going to tell this story. Then they do the narrative. So it wasn't like they immediately got into the the craziness. It was set up, introed, and and explained. Um, the problem, there was a couple things that happened, but one of them was, um, there was another program that came on and on one of the other radio stations that really nobody was interested in. So that's how they got a good base of their listenership. Unfortunately, it happened after the top of the hour where everything had been explained. Um, if I can interrupt, I actually have a stat to that, that they believe that only of the final listeners only about 2% of that number were actually tuned in from the first to hear that. Right. Um, there were other things, including the Ed Berger, Ed Ber- Edgar Bergen show with Charlie McCarthy, the famous ventriloquist that people were listening to, but they were known once he stopped to ch- channel surf. And so they say 98% ah. of the people came in after that, and that's where they heard it. Well, that makes sense, too. Um, and then the other thing um, to keep in mind uh, as we listen to this clip is... Um, Back in that day, it was very common in uh, radio to hear an announcer in the middle of something come on and say, we interrupt this broadcast to give you blah, 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 blah. Um, it happened a lot, many times through the day. So that was kind of commonplace. Um, so it wasn't, and that was one thing that surprised me and I wanted to share with the kind listener and Todd, is it, obviously to us, it's a little bit different now. Generally when they break in, it's, it's something that's pretty bad that's happened or whatnot. So they were kind of... They were kind of getting through the first version of We Interrupt. Go ahead. I, I want to also, let's set the table for this, that this occurs in 38. Yes. In, in 39 is when World War II launches. Right. So the, the, the feeling of paranoia that was already beginning to permeate was out there. Right. So people were on edge. They didn't know what to think of Adolf Hitler and his, you know, the machinations of his, his whole group. Right. They they were they were a tinderbox ready to explode so i think when you begin to think of them let's also think of what radio radio we didn't have tv you had telephones but still the ability to check information was right. not something that was readily available in a quick manner so if they heard something they had to trust it right and that was the whole thing is that people this is the first media of this type that was allowed into the household Right. Where people would put it, it was a central gathering place, and you trusted what came out of it. It was real time. So your newspapers had to get printed and handed out. So I'll play this uh, little cut here. Uh, It's off of YouTube. Uh, You can listen to the whole broadcast available on YouTube. Just search for uh, Orson Welles' uh, War of the Worlds, and uh, we'll listen to that now. Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing... Okay, we do record live. I don't know why. Just this one time, it started to start right in the middle. So let's get again from the beginning. Three, two, one. The touch of the Spanish. Raymond Raquello leads off with La Compasita.
Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen. So that's how, sorry about the technical difficulty there, but that's how it started. Now, the interesting thing is this. Now, we have to keep in mind as we have this discussion, the entire broadcast lasted 44 minutes. So I think uh, one thing about, and, and we'll get into discussion of, of the panic and everything that happened with this. I think there's we got to keep things in 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 scope here in the sense that it was it what it what didn't go on for hours or days it was 44 minutes that it was on they did have commercial breaks and they did come back and say you're listening to War of the Worlds blah 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 um, but there there's some interesting things there so this this band uh, that was made up and doesn't even exist uh, uh, Raymond Rockello and um, the song was La Compensita, which uh, my Spanish is bad, but that almost sounds like composition. <laughs> so the song's name, Composition, uh, comes on with this band. Now, the interesting thing here, too, is the, the music, as you heard, was not on that long. Maybe 10 or 15 seconds before they break in with the first thing. Reporting um, explosions from Mars, 1938, and they know that they're hydrogen, which is interesting as well. Trying, I guess, just fill it with some facts to help build the... the, the the uh, believability of it, yeah. And I think at that time, too, you're also looking at, once again, people didn't readily have the information that hydrogen explosions on Mars, really. But they're they're going for that idea that that's something we don't talk about. And also, you've had the Hindenburg explode. Yes, you're right. You had to, or, or, or actually, had it exploded at that time, now that I say that. But, you know, you have these kind of things where uh, you're, you're throwing out ideas that people don't know immediately what's true and what's not. And so they go along with it. Right. And so we'll, we'll kind of, you know, obviously we could sit here and listen to the broadcast and pick that. Maybe we'll do a minute by minute sometime for that on that, but and go ahead. to be fair, the Hindenburg did explode the year before. So that's, yes. I, I bet you that's why they went with it. Absolutely. In fact, the Hindenburg actually has an interesting tie in here. So what unfolds after that interruption is a drama. And they, they the funny thing is they kind of go, you know, like they say, you know, um, Explosions, hydrogen, Mars. Uh, okay, now back to <laughs> Raymond Rockello, and he'll play for a little bit, and then they'll cut in again. Uh, the interesting thing that's interesting too that I noticed from a technical point, because obviously I do so well technically, as I've already screwed up a couple things on this show, but um, that you can always hear the band fade out, so you knew that it was a radio play. Whereas if they were actually interrupting, they would have just done a, a mute and hard cut into the mic. But you know. If Orson ever calls, I'll give him that that uh, tidbit of information. Um, so what unfolds is constantly interrupting this this musical performance, and things are getting worse and worse. Meteorites land. Uh, a reporter's near the meteorite. Um, it opens up, and this thing comes out, and the Martian ray or death ray comes out and starts killing people. This starts uh, an actual radio drama where, the, of course, this is all being done live, folks. There's no pre-record, so everybody has a script and all the screaming and everything and reporting is all real time, which, again, lends itself to its validity and also the genius of Orson Welles and the fact that they had to write this script, get everybody together on it, and then have you've got one shot to get it done. And it'd be very easy for somebody to break character or do something different or have a technical issue, and then the whole the whole facade is is blown. 
So in, in the early portion of the program, there is a reporter called Carl, Carl Phillips, and he's kind of your first look and eyes into what's happening in this situation. And at the point where the death ray appears, he does this great um, um, work as an, a voice actor in people dying and stuff like that. Well, to get into the role and research and know how to cover something like that, uh, the real guy, Frank uh, Reddick, went to the uh, uh, library and listened to the Hindenburg disaster over and over and over and over again. I've listened to that, and I made a pr production uh, decision not to play it because uh, it is pretty horrific. Um, but anyway, he went and listened to that over and over to kind of understand, and so that kind of lent itself into also some of the believability when, when it came time for to have some death and destruction. Um Inevitably, the script reads out. As I kind of explained, the Martians run in their own thing and the show ends. It's reported that after the show, Orson Welles and those guys, I'm sure they were done with the show. It's time to go catch a few cold ones and, and you know, just talk and everything. Um, they were unaware at some of the panic that hit it, it, that it had created. Um, and they weren't aware of that until what happened the next day. So um, thoughts on that? Do you have anything you want to add? Well, I'm going to digress to a couple of things, if sure. you don't mind. So the fake orchestra a for Citizen Kane fans, what's fun to know is that Bernard Herrmann, who wrote the, the score for Citizen Kane and went on to famously write for Hitchcock, including Psycho, led that orchestra. Ah. <laughs> so their working relationship was already there. Uh, Wells uh, is famous for his bravado and his great partner at the time, John Houseman, who Many of you have probably seen as an actor, went on to do many things, including, I believe, Paper Chase on TV was what he was famously known for. Uh, he is famously quoted as saying, you know, Orson pitched this to us. We thought initially it was a bad idea. But in true Orson fashion, he won. And in true Orson fashion, I doubt he ever read the book. Oh. Uh, but, he, you know, he said that with love because he's like, Orson was one of those, okay, great. Somebody, let's do this, let's figure this out and go. And I think it's very important to point out too that this was one of the first times as well that they chose to forego most commercial interruptions the first commercial break did not occur for 30 minutes oh good point which led to its which led to its authenticity people right. excuse we even now when we watch tv shows we expect that rhythm of about every you know 10 minutes you get a commercial break to go get your popcorn or go to the mo uh, bathroom yeah. excuse me yeah so they played with so many conventions at this point including by and large removing Orson Welles' voice as much as they could from this so that it led to the authenticity that this was not a radio play. Yeah, one of the things I heard <clears throat> and uh, through some recordings and some of the research I did was another genius move that Orson Welles did was he killed off that reporter pretty early. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, it, it's an interesting um, perspective in the sense that when you keep getting interrupted, this, this beautiful music that's happening, I'm going to get my Raymond Rochello recording off of iTunes later today. I'm going to gift it to you for Christmas. Um, right. to, it keeps interrupting, and this guy is giving you the report. So obviously um, you build an immediate um, relationship or attachment to this particular individual because they're your eyes and ears on what's going on in this craziness. And they kill him off pretty early. And so that also added to the uh, realism and psychological meddling where people were like, well, why would you, if it's a radio drama, why would you kill off the, you know, the MC or the guy that's walking yeah. you through the whole thing? 
There were just so many things that immediately they set to break the the language of radio. I, I, had, it's a, I had a conversation with friends last night, a friend who's not a movie fan, and I tried to speak about the language of film. She thought, there's no language. I said, yes, there's a language of all this that we understand yeah. that even those of us who've not educated ourselves, we understand it. Yeah, um, it's much like we can all speak. You know, here in this country, most of us speak English. We may not have studied it, but we can do it. And I think that even at this time, in those early days of radio, people had already gotten into the cadence and understood this is how it worked. So breaking the conventions, taking away things, killing characters where it didn't feel like it should, kept people on edge. They didn't know what to do. And I had one other note too about the music, and it doesn't show here, but there were stretches in there where Orson was famously in the studio going keep that music playing too long, keep it playing too long because now people are, they're worried. Why am I not getting the next bit? So this man was playing with every beat of it to manipulate you. And I guess because we're talking 80 years later, that manipulation was pretty good. Yeah. Obviously again, was his, his, his launching into who he, who was. And then he, he went on to make what is, uh, got, got the deal that nobody gets. He had final cut and everything else as we talked about, with uh, Citizen Kane and went on to make one of the best movies uh, out there with, with not only just some uh, gorgeous uh, script writing, but some, some cinematography that you and I spent uh, a lot of time talking about. So obviously and once again, in that he surrounds himself with the people that are at the top right. of the game. And in this, you look through this list of even people who are here, there are a number of people that actually were in Citizen Kane with him. And he just constantly found those people and they delivered for him. They they loved and hated Orson. See, and it, it's one of those things too, and not to get too far off topic here, but it just lends it lends my imagination to what if George Lucas, and I guess he kind of did with Return of the Je- uh, uh, Return of the Jedi. No, not Return of the Jedi. Empire Strikes Back, where he didn't direct it, but it's one of the favorite Star Wars movies, and and maybe um, how it would have been different if he just instead of focusing on having absolute control surrounding himself, and of course John Williams with the score. I mean, you're not going to go wrong there. But just uh, some some right. John Williams wrote the score for. Do I have that right? Yeah. Oh yeah, you have it right, and I think you're really on to something. Oh okay. That is... I saw the reaction in her face, and I was like, oh shit, did I miss? It? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no. Oh, I boop. was thinking. I was thinking of that. I think you yeah. tapped into something. That Orson is that rarity. Yeah. Of great, great artistic minds that understood to make my vision work. I yeah. got to have people buying in at every point and giving me good ideas because, and he would famously do this. You give me a good idea. It becomes mine. It ain't yours. Right. And, right. but he understood that he went with it. He trusted people, but he did share in some of the, cause with the, the script writing with citizen Kane, he shared screen, the screen title and credits for that. So he was a little, a little uh, forgiving in that. Right. Don't. Yes, but at the same time, there are many people that think he did not even write the script. Oh. Now, that's a famous thing, and the, the director, <laughs> Peter Bogdanovich, came back and said that's the most garbage-laden comment. Right. You can tell there are things of Orson in that. But he was he was pretty famous, though, even in that with Mankiewicz. He wanted, he's like, look, give him credit. Give yeah. him credit. It has to be there. Well, and, and then also from that, that movie as well was the lighting guy. Who he uh, went the in? The director and, of photography. Our director of photography. I'm sorry. And he was going around telling him what to do, and how cool to surround yourself with people that know their craft so well that he wasn't put off or upset by it. He was just like, "Hey, man, yeah, keep talking to me." And and, and so, how does Orson Welles reward that? But it's famous that the the first card, and that's what you yeah. call those when you see writing on it at the very end of the film, is not only directed by Orson Welles but cinematography <clears throat> by Greg Tolan. He shared the first card with his director of photography he felt that their relationship was that integral to what was on the screen right 
So getting back to, to War of the Worlds, because this is a great discussion. So now we've had the broadcast. Orson and those guys uh, go do what they do that evening. They wake up, and it's all over the newspapers that there has been this, this radio broadcast, and it has terrorized. It has scared people. People were fainting. I'm sure there were some, uh, some claims of deaths from heart attacks and stuff like that. And it becomes this huge deal to the point that it gets um, later, I believe, in, in one level of government, they're labeled as terrorists for using the broadcast waves to scare the public. Um, obviously, um, you know, once things have calmed down and obviously they're not uh, under under uh, attack from Martians, um, you know, things are things kind of get back to normal. But there are a couple interesting facts here in the research that I was looking at um, online and everything is in 1938, radio, again, had only been around for about 18 years, and it's starting to eat into an old medium, older medium known as the newspaper and stealing things like revenue for advertisements and stuff. And. They've done some searches. Now, there were a lot of calls to the police department and other things as far as people trying to figure out what was going on. But I, the interesting twist to this is I think there was a lot, and one reason why so many people know about it today, is I think it was the newspaper taking advantage of that situation and using it to their advantage to say, now, see, radio, they just, they're by the seat of their pants. They're just doing whatever they want. Got everybody all worked up. Now, if you read a newspaper, you know, somebody's taking the time to research the facts, get things right and print it out so you can read it. Um, cause in the end, um, or, or decades later, they looked at it and it was a relatively small amount of people that, that really reacted and, and, and freaked out over it. And, and that is very true. When I go back to that film that I watched, and I did look that up, I finally was smart enough to not just put TV film about War of the Worlds. I put TV <laughs> film about Radio War of the Worlds. And it was called The Night That Panicked America. And it oh. came out in 1975, so I'd have been nine. And in that, to my nine-year-old mind, it was like the entire nation went cuckoo. Yeah. yeah. So I remember asking my mother, who is always the person that when I want – my dad may have taught me movies, but my mom's one of those that really pays attention to the, those kind of things. And I remember, and she said, well – I remember that and you know at least what people told me and it was panic blah 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 well now they look in the studies are again that a microcosm of the people within the the listening ship of listenership of radio reacted right um but the folklore that almost became a part of the radio show itself yes and you know orson famously the next day because of exactly what you're talking about that that paper attacked it he had to have a press conference yeah and in that he he replied i'm terribly shocked by the effect that it's had radio is new and we're just starting to learn what effect it has on people we're deeply shocked and deeply regretful about the results of last night's broadcast now at the same time i have this quote that at the end of the broadcast he stepped out of character to say war of the worlds has no further significance than as a holiday offering it was intended to yeah. be mercury theater's own radio version of dressing up in a sheet jumping out of a bush and saying boo right so they, you know, he felt even the need to kind of explain it to people. Right. But even in the wake of it, you had people, there were two famous lawsuits against CBS. One one person sued for $50,000, which is a great sum of money simply for going into nervous shock. 
Um, another person who his claim was successful from Massachusetts sought compensation because he was saving money to buy a pair of shoes and instead used the cash to buy a train ticket to flee the Martians. And Wells reportedly stepped in to reimburse him for the shoes. Nice. And an Xbox controller. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, the reactions too even went beyond that, that as I touched on early on, uh, one of the reasons that it played so well was the growing anxiety over turmoil in Europe. Yeah. And Adolf Hitler even replied. Hmm. And his reply was Nazi broadcasts uh, basically came out and said, if American radio can lie about the invasion from Mars, they can't be trusted about anything they say about the atrocities or Nazi aggression. So he tried to counter with propaganda to say they're lying to you. They're lying to you about us. Wow. Now, that's that's interesting. That's very interesting. And I know um, right after the broadcast, they asked uh, Wells about did he did he have any idea that this could be the possibility or the reaction to his story or his play? And he was pretty adamant about no. Well, fast forward many years later, he was asked that question again, and he was a little more coy. They knew what they were doing. I don't think they expected it to go the direction it did. But what a great an aha moment and an opportunity for him to to make some history. And one thing that I want to point out that I think is kind of interesting is that newspapers wanted to use that uh, experience as an as an opportunity to, to to shame radio and 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 to ruin its reputation. But in the end, they ended up making it a bigger deal, and therefore, I think radio in the end kind of kind of ended up coming ahead of that. Um, and, I, and, and as we start to close things down here um, for the show, I think that without, so we, we, I love it when we do, without Citizen Kane, you know, you don't get, um, oh man, I had an opportunity for a great joke there and I blew it. What's the one with John Travolta that's so bad? Gotti. No, no, no. Gotti was bad. This is the oh, one. Battleship about, Earth. Was it Battleship? Battlefield World? Battlefield. Battlefield. Yeah, I didn't see it, but. Okay, so kind listener, please forget the last 10 seconds, and I'll restate <laughs> it, and this time it'll be funny. So, you know, like we always talk, one of my favorite things that we do is that we, we say, like, without Citizen Kane, you can't have Battlefield Earth. Ha, ha, ha. Well, you know, <laughs> so there, with, there's an ounce of truth to that. Without people taking the chances to create art yeah, on a platform like this, you think, and also, let's go, let's go to the hyperbole from... The newspapers attacking the radio institution we we hear this time and time again when radio loses its effectiveness because tv permeates into the sure. households and because this trusted source and sure. they begin to say yes but these are just they put pretty people on there and they're they're vapid and they don't they don't have depth yeah. every time they attack but it's the people that are willing to push this and i find it very interesting that this broadcast of war of the worlds is on record as becoming one of the very first if not the first significant psychological studies on the fact of uh, the mm. fact of mass media's effect on yeah. the populace, and that was written by Hadley Cantrell, called "The Invasion from Mars: A Study of Psychology of Panic." Yeah, and it really is the first one where we begin to understand that media can be used as propaganda to distort and yeah. push people. I don't think that was what the Mercury players wanted. No, but it at least opens that idea of that you can use this to 
distort truth. Yes. I find that very interesting. And, and even though it was a tor- terrible joke about Battlefield Earth, but with what I was going to say was without um, War of the Worlds, I don't think we have Andy Kaufman who did some, some things with messing with the volume for the master control and some other things. I even think uh, some shows like Jackass and some of the other real uh, reality shows um, obviously took some cues from there. Um, and then even today, as we start to look into social media, like you said, Facebook and, and other outlets, and not to pick on Facebook by themselves, as far as um, customizing your intake of information and hearing what you want um, or having that manipulated. And I, you and I both know we're not going to go down that road, not on this podcast, mm-hmm. but but it is interesting in, in the sense that um, you know, perception's reality. And uh, for those that, that, that saw past or wanted to see past uh, a simple radio broadcast, it, it really kind of had a large effect on them. And, and uh, thank God uh, a lot of people had the wits about them <laughs> to realize that meteorites from Mars couldn't get here in 15 minutes and entire armies could not be mobilized in 10. I want to I want to throw something in there for anybody that might be dismissing what happened to these people. And if you think this can't happen, I think when you're touching on the things you don't have this without that, I want you to remember there was a little film that came out a few years ago called, called The Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. which began with its marking where people hit message boards and put the idea out there. Have you heard about this? They found this footage of putting it together. It's kind of a documentary. Yes. It was nothing more than marketing, but when that first permeated, it was oh this might be real right you can people are still trying to push what media can be orson was just perhaps the first one in the mass media age to ever go i'm really going to use it against you and i'm going to tell the best story where you believe it right and and put some of the onus and responsibility back on that listener to kind of seek out and find out what's going on all right, folks, we hope you've enjoyed uh, this 34th episode of The Other Kind Radio. Final words, Todd, I'm going to throw it your way, and then I'll get us out of here. Man, I anytime we can ever talk Orson Welles, can we just make this The Other Kind Orson Welles show? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, is that it? Is that all you had? I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, that was all. I was just, I'm being silly, but once again, great job picking a topic. I, I love, I love talking about that. Well, I appreciate it. I'm glad it was something uh, we could get down and talk about. Uh, to all the kind listeners, this is uh, the conclusion of part two. <laughs> uh, one of two. Uh, once again, want to thank everybody for listening. We love your feedback. Info at theotherkindradio.com. Jeff at theotherkindradio.com. Todd at theotherkindradio.com. Please email us. I'm going to be in New Orleans and San Francisco in the upcoming weeks. So I'm going to be dropping off some more of the other kind radio business cards that Todd was so kind to create and see if we can get some listeners and emails from people finding those business cards. It's our pleasure once again to get together on a weekly basis, deliver this podcast to you. Uh, Without you, uh, this doesn't happen. So on your uh, podcast uh, app, like, subscribe, give us a little love. We'll give it back. For myself. And Todd, thank you for joining us. We are The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio.